Why Nickers? Bernard pulls the trigger. And this is a brand. Nickers is a brand. Allen Houston. Nickers means Lord. Once a neck, always a neck. What is good? Everyone, welcome to another edition of the Nickish Show. My name is Mo. I'm here with Nafi, and basically, we, we just chilling out here on a Tuesday night after Labor Day. Seeing the NBA playoffs are going on right now. We're in the middle of a Bucks and Raptors game. We're checking out, too. Gonna keep an eye on that, but lots of things been going on in the NBA and the Knicks world. How you doing, my man? Not bad, bro. I mean... Like you said, we just coming off that three day weekend. So three day weekends are not long enough, bro. I'll tell you one thing: they said t- they don't tell you in in school about adulthood. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> three day weekends, they come and the next thing you know, you know, they gone. So otherwise, you know, I'm doing all right. What about you, bro? Been chilling. I mean, watching the NBA playoffs, they're entertaining as fuck right now, which is great. Uh, unexpected. And, you know, we mentioned on last week's episode that we weren't very ha- we weren't too happy that the playoffs progressed the way it did, especially with the boycotts or the work stoppage that seemed like was going to make a big impact. But at this point, just 10 or so days later, it seems like it's old news, which sucks to see. But you hope that the players continue to relay the message that black lives do matter and to, to vote. And at this point, equality will always be the goal. And we just have to keep doing what we can to push the needle further. But, you know, apart from that, just been enjoying the games. Um, lots of surprising things been going on, especially in the East. And uh, enter- entertaining games overall. So, I mean, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the playoffs, something that we haven't done in in a while. Which is crazy, us being a hoops podcast and all. But, you know, to your <laughs> point, we have been preoccupied with some, uh, you know, more uh, pressing kind of matters when it comes to the NBA world. Obviously, last week we talked about, you know, as you said, the work stoppage or in more proper parlance, you know, the wildcat strike. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I mean, back to our reg- regularly regularly scheduled programming, right? So we're back to just seeing Black Lives Matter on the court, which is like the NBA's own sanitized version of, like, social justice and uh protests so i mean hey you know rather they'd rather see like you know dante divincenzo playing in a equality jersey than actual (laughs) players you know what i mean um you know exercising their right which you know understandably so you know they're they're um Makes makes total sense yeah yeah but um yeah i mean like i said back to the regular like the regular programming um yeah, a lot of crazy shit been happening in the bubble playoffs, bro. And, you know, I've been seeing a lot of analysis, um, obviously, about what's going on in the playoffs, like the games and the upsets. I think what, you know, I see reporters calling it out, analysts mention it, but I think what gets lost is just like, bro, this bubble is just, it's a paradigm shift because, like, no matter what anybody says, no matter what the professionals say, it's just like, it's, it's a difference playing in an empty gym versus playing against 20k especially in the playoffs you know what i mean like home court advantage means something for a reason that 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 reputation of home court advantage like as being like the all like all encompassing or all like powerful like equalizer that goes down the drain when there's no crowd you know what i mean when it's just like virtual fans so i think that's hasn't been said enough and I feel like that would kind of explain what's going on with just, like you mentioned, this Milwaukee and Heat game that's going on in the series. Like, all credit due to Spolstra. I love Jimmy Butler, but I think it's just one of those situations where a hard-playing, hard-playing, scrappy team like Miami, they got a big advantage when, like, they don't have to worry about going into, like, Milwaukee in a game two, you know what I mean? Or game one, rather. So, you know, I think that's just been kind of under, underplayed. But, I mean, that's yeah. just my biggest I mean, takeaway so far, you know? Let's let's get into his Bucks and Heat game. And yo, kudos to the NBA because they do at they do try to add in the sounds of the crowd, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, the the Bucks and the Heat, you start to wonder why Giannis is playing how he's playing as the reigning MVP and the current Defensive Player of the Year. And 
at this point, Miami's playing like a team that has nothing to lose, and Giannis is playing like a man who has everything to lose. And at this point, he's become that next guy where everyone's looking at and is going to wonder, is he ever going to win that ring? We saw it last with LeBron, then we saw it with KD. Now we're seeing it with Giannis, and I think he's feeling that pressure. And at this point, you see the Bucks actually playing somewhat better without him, which kind of <laughs> is tough to see. But you, you got to also look at the way the rest of his team is structured. Chris Middleton is an all-star at best, and that's that's all he's going to be. Budenholzer was an amazing coach, and now he's, you know, during the playoffs, it looks like he's choking a little bit. But this team, I don't think anyone expected they'd be down 3-1 with possibly going home tonight. They were bailed out two games ago with Chris Middleton. They had some good shots that they put up. But, you know, Jimmy Butler's playing like, an NBA player that you don't see too often, that killer instinct, and just going at anybody with that attitude, and you love to see it. I hate I hate the Miami Heat, but I, I love seeing Jamie Butler play the way he's playing. And some of the guys on the team, Bam Adebayo is locking up Giannis, and I think from all the players in the NBA, Bam has the best defense against Giannis. Like, statistically, he has the best defense on Giannis, and he's able to shut him down as well as anybody possibly could against a man like the Greek Freak. And they got other guys playing well. Like Tyler Hero coming in, I thought he was a little bit overrated, but he put him he put up some big buckets the last game and he got them into overtime, made sure that they didn't lose and you know, he whatever shots he had to put up he was able to put in. He's a good yeah. shooter. Not to cut you off, but like see like I feel like Tyler Hero is like exhibit A of the exact point I was making, like the bubble just like empowering a player. Cause like yo, no knock on Hero. He's he's had a great rookie year, you know. Cause like he just similar to kind of years ago when Devin Booker came out the blue and had a better rookie year than expected. I think Tyler Hero had the same for Miami, but he's just like case in point of like a young was a 19, 20 year old player, um, ball balling out of his mind during the playoffs. But you know, it's not the quote unquote bright lights of the playoffs because there's no fans. You know what I mean? So um, I think that plays into obviously what's going on in the series. Um, and then I wanted to go back and kind of touch on what you said about Bud. Like, I think this is just like confirmed that like he's just he might just be the regular season one and done kind of coach. Like he's he's gonna have his team just going out there like knocking on the door of sixty wins every season. But I mean we've seen it in two spots now: Milwaukee and then Atlanta. Previously, he yep. doesn't seem they to... they won sixty games there too. Four All Stars in one exactly. season. Exactly. And at Atlanta, at least had the he had the excuse of like, okay, I'm going up against LeBron, but like, now he has the LeBron, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, yeah. he's going into this series, and it's just like he's not adjusting, and that's like the number one, like key to any kind of playoff success. Period. You know what I mean? Like, we're seeing it right now, or like we saw it previously, just like yeah, Giannis got hurt which might dampen this point, but it's just like even before he got hurt, Bud wasn't playing him the minutes he needed to play, especially when they got down like 2-0 and then 3-0. Like, mm -hmm. why is Giannis still only averaging like 30, 33 minutes a game in the series? You know what I mean? Like, we're seeing like, I saw somebody tweeted it out. I don't know who it was, but it was like um, in the first five years or like this this period that Giannis is in up until this point, what, the, what these other superstars were averaging in the playoffs, like, Dame and LeBron were averaging like 41 minutes a game. You know what I mean? Like at this point in their careers, you know what I mean? Um, so like that's another thing. That's that's one of the main things that's like hampering Bud because I think he's an elite coach in terms of the regular season, but we can't put him up there in terms of like Pop, Kerr, or Spolstra in terms of playoff tacticians because he hasn't so shown it. Like another mm -hmm. thing you could say is just that why are they still, like, you're seeing how Miami's killing them so far in the season, or in the, not, not in the season, the series. They're just picking it's up. Season two, actually. They they beat them, I think, four four times. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But right. yeah so continue. Even worse, like, so that's even a bigger kind of a, a magnifying glass on Bud's kind of shortcomings as a coach, right? Because it's like, Where's you, the you, guys got, yeah. you guys got whooped, and then now when you, you're, only, you're, you're only playing Miami, nobody else, there's no, like, Charlotte on the calendar right after this Miami game. Not nah, you're only getting Miami for this period of time. You're not <laughs> you making the adjustments. You know what I mean? <laughs> of like, all the teams he could have used as an example for the tough team coming up, my man yeah, used Charlotte. I mean, <laughs> it could even just be like, yeah, I mean, that's even a better example because it's like at least in the regular season, like, okay, we, we could take this L to Miami because, oh, we got Charlotte coming up. That's our, that's our chicken soup. Like, we could lose, but we'll feel better after we play Charlotte. You know what I mean? That's the chicken soup for the soul. 
now they don't got that excuse no more. You know what I mean? So that's even worse. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, they didn't adjust to Miami. And my biggest point about that was just like Miami's picking them apart with threes. And you're looking at Milwaukee in these last two years, especially they play that that drop coverage, and it helped Giannis win Defensive Player of the Year. Obviously, this season. Congrats, by the way. Congrats, rather. But that whole defense is predicated on like either him or Brooke Lopez just like sitting their ass in the paint or mm-hmm. all their their whole scheme in terms of how they defend pick and rolls they drop back and just let you take your shots take your threes to them they'll quote unquote live with threes dropping but that's how they've been losing the series and a, a great coach would adjust on the fly no and then we haven't seen that from Bud so I'm ready to kind of write them off as just like okay you mean you I you know like but I'm not going to trust you going into like a trench warfare in the playoffs you know so right. And he has a team that has Eric Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez, both of whom got, you know, votes for the defensive, all, all defensive teams. And he got the defensive player on the year on this team. They can't adjust defensively. That's that's wild. But I think, you know, all yeah. things considered, 2020 is not going to be the year for Giannis Antetokounmpo at this point. You know, he, he's, sure. he's probably going to get the saddest MVP that there is after – losing like this to Miami, uh, a, a series that I mean, no one thought that nobody could lost. Ta- nobody can top the sorrow of seeing Dirk win the MVP like weeks after he got like lost to the Golden State oh, well, in the first that. round. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was the most awkward shit <laughs> I've ever My bad, I stand life. corrected, yeah. If you could sheepishly uh, accept an MVP trophy, that's exactly what Dirk did. He was <laughs> <laughs> Just the idea yeah. of it, bro, but... Yeah, you know, yeah, this Giannis kind of accepting ceremony. You know, at least you don't got to be there in person. You know, Corona—that's <laughs> the one positive. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but moving, on, I want to move on to another team because I think at the start of the season, this this was a team that I was rooting for to make it to the championship, and lately, like the players on the team have just been pissing me off, and that's the Clippers. I think coming in, I thought, I thought they would have been. I, I, I believe they will still be a, an excellent matchup with the Lakers, and I do want to see both of those teams make it to the finals. But, like, the guys on the team are just pissing me off at this point for, for various – like, Paul George, early in the seat, like, early in the playoffs, wasn't playing like himself, and he's gotten a lot better since. Pat Beverly is – like, today he called out Jokic for flailing. He called Jokic out for flailing, but Pat Beverly does it, you know, every other time. Called out Luca for the same thing, the same game, and it's like, I, I I really like Kawhi Leonard. I would love to see him win another championship, you know. But I've never, I've never had the feeling of even somewhat rooting for the Lakers at any point. But against the Clippers, not even when it comes Col- to that point, Kobe's passing. You know what I mean, I <laughs> oh, feel like a lot of yeah. people. Are- wow, never mind. That's. I, I you laugh that. at that, bro. Time out. I said Kobe pass and the smile on your face. No, no, no. I didn't smile. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not smiling. I'm not smiling. I'm playing. I'm playing. I, I'll mess with you. I'll mess with you. No, no. I fucked up big time there. No, no, no. Of course not. I, I, I want to say since Kobe, since 20, you know, whatever it was. I feel you. got me all. You got me all flustered now. Yo, if our listeners could Shit. see it. Yo, you can see like, the sweat that I'm breaking you, out right now. You look now. like God, when the slow damn. kid get picked on to read Holy out loud. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since Kobe, I I, I, I don't need to I don't need to explain it. But got, earlier in the I season, I was rooting for the Clippers against the Lakers. But since then, you know, recently they've just been pissing me off. And at this point, if it were a Lakers versus Clippers showdown. I might end up rooting for the Lakers, but I mean, what are your, what are your, what are your, what's your take on the Clippers right now, and how they're playing, and overall as a unit, do you see them being that team that's most likely going to come out of this with a championship? I still think, especially now with what we're seeing from Milwaukee, I still think the Clippers are the best team right now going. Um, I thought that pre-bubble, and you know, I've got to kind of. I don't want to be a Debbie Donner, but, like, this bubble is just, it's a paradigm shift, you know what I mean? Like, there's a reason a dude like T.J. Warren or a, guy, or a guy like Gary Trent Jr. can ball the fuck out, you know, prior to the playoffs, obviously. It's obviously because, like, you know, it's a whole different setting. They're playing in an empty gym, basically, with, with, with their homies, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, prior to the bubble, I thought the Clippers were the best overall team, and I still think so. I mean, despite, you know, um, playoff P's, you know, uh, shortcomings i just think like yeah beverly is a dickhead but you know 
I also did see his comments about Jokic. That's some bullshit. They're making fucking sense. But yeah, that's that's what he does. He's uh, he's the the irritant on the team. You know what I mean? His job is literally to annoy the fuck out of other fans and other te- other like players on the other team. So yeah, and um, I love Mook. Not not to cut you off. I love I love Marcus Morris, but the shit with Luca like that just looked way too intentional for him to get that flagrant foul. And he'll you know, he'll look a- the other way. <laughs> what? You know it's intentional because it's Marcus Morris. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you, you start thinking about Kawhi Leonard, and if these things start to become distractions, and if that's something that he just doesn't appreciate, because when you see the teams that he's played for in the past, distractions wasn't normally a thing. They all played with exceptional professionalism, but this year's playoffs, he he has to deal with the few distractions, at least three that came up in the last two months. And again, it's Kawhi Leonard. He's a machine. Loss. Maybe maybe he doesn't feel these things, but. You know, I think it's something to look out for to see if it if it starts to take in, take into effect with the team chemistry. Yeah, but the thing is, Kawhi never chose those other previous spots. You know what I mean? Like he never chose me on San Antonio. He never chose me on Toronto. I mean, he did choose the Clippers all intents and purposes. He knew the guys he was going to be playing with aside from Mook. So, I think Kawhi just don't give a fuck because, like, at the end of the day, it's like these dudes can be annoying and can be dickheads to the other players, but they're not going to be that way in house. You know, so. And, you know, basketball-wise, though, like, I mean, yeah, like, it, they could get dirty, especially Marcus on the court, but I still don't see anything that would make me think the Clippers aren't, like, the the, the preeminent threat in the West. But, you know, the Lakers are still playing. I know a lot of people favor them. And I think Houston has been getting, like, underrated a bit. And I'm not the biggest Westbrook guy, but... Just like the team, especially after they went small pre-bubble and carried it over into the bubble, there there's no, there's nobody out there that could really match up with them like that. You know what I mean? Like there's such a culture shock from like especially a team like LA to play against. So I think Houston and the Clippers are those the two like and yeah, I'll throw the Lakers in there. Those three squads are like the best in the West, in in the West and probably the league right now. But I think the Clippers, I'm still very comfortable like kind of seeing them. Or I'm still comfortable like predicting them going in their finals. So. So that being said, if it comes down to the Rockets and the Lakers, who are one apiece right now, are you suggesting that you think that the Rockets will come out as with the W? I can see Rockets in. In seven, in seven. I know that's kind of a pussy kind of way to say it, because <laughs> you know what I mean. Like I was just bigging up the Rockets, but I think. The bubble kind of throws shit into flux. I didn't expect like the Lakers to come out and just completely blitz the Rockets. You know what I mean in the game too. That they mm-hmm. didn't. They blitzed them like coming out and yeah, the Rockets made their kind of charge at the end. But um, I still feel like um, the Lakers. They got LeBron. They got AD. But I'm not a big believer in the rest of their depth. And I just feel like they've been playing big all season. That for them to suddenly downsize against Houston, I don't think it'll be successful. And, like, I say that after they came off a win and, like, AD balled the fuck out, but Houston's used to playing small, you know what I mean? And, like, getting down and dirty with those big dudes down low with their with their smaller defenders like P.J. Tucker and Covington. But Lake, the Lakers aren't used to playing small. So I think they right now acknowledge that you, we can't beat the small team playing big, but we're going to come down to your level and try to go mano a mano and to me that's playing into the houston's trap you know what i mean like you're coming into our comfort zone and we already been here we've been comfortable it's like when bane said i've been molded by the shadows i've been in the shadows you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's the difference when batman comes down into the dark to fight him it's the same shit with the lakers coming here trying to play their version of small against the houston version of small um it works it worked in game two but i'm skeptical that it could continue through the rest of the se- series um, I'm gonna throw that right back at you, though. Where you think where you think that series is going? You know, it's one one apiece right now. It's basically you know, it's like the series never even really started. You know, make your yep. prediction right now. I think I think we got to give this one to the Lakers. I think the Rockets will live or die by Russell Westbrook, who last game only scored ten points, went one for seven from three, and you could see how the Lakers played him defensively. They gave him every feat that he wanted of space to shoot the three and he took it seven times only made him once he didn't shoot efficiently and you know the rest of the team did cover for him Eric Gordon played well shot six to 12 from the three scored 24 points looking at the stats just now and Robert Covington played a good game and PJ Tucker um 
you know, if he does what he did this season, he he has a running, he has a good running for defensive player of the year, especially at you know at his height, be, having to defend all these centers, but still playing the run and gun Mike D'Antoni style and shooting the corner three all the time. And by the way, he's he might be the best corner three shooter like ever, not maybe not ever, but at least top three because of his efficiency. But I would have to say you can't, I, I can't root against LeBron James at this point. I think. He he's too smart, and Anthony Davis is too good for them combined to not be able to beat the Rockets. So I would I would go with them, the Lakers. Yeah, but it's I see that, but you know, I was just gonna say a smart ass comment. I'm like, okay, you can't root against LeBron, but you'd be very successful rooting against LeBron. You know, given his finals record, the, the three and six mafia. You know what I mean? Right. Three six but mafia. He, yeah, but can you root <laughs> against him for not making the finals? Um, you cannot. Well, he missed the playoffs last year, and right. But I'm saying, no I mean, joke. he's in the playoffs right now. You can't root against him for the playoffs to make it to the finals. If we're talking about the finals, finals, then sure. But making it to the finals, he's made every year. He's been in the playoffs at least for, you know, I lost count of how many years at this point. Yeah, but then that was the East, and this is the West, and like he's never faced a second round opponent as good as these Rockets. I'm, I'm comfortable in saying that kind of reflecting back on who we've seen in the second round you know he's never had Um, a player as good as anthony davis except for Dwayne wade but anthony davis still has time to yeah better than Dwayne wade that's true and like obviously his run of dominance in the east like it cemented what he is as the second greatest player of all time but another point like has he ever played like in the east during that whole time period when he's been in the playoffs and he's been dominating on his way to the finals has he ever looked across from him in a playoff series and seen a player as good as Harden, like comparable? You know what I mean? I don't think so. You know what I mean? And then he's got Westbrook, and you know they made it a point to say during the commentary of that game too that LeBron he hasn't seen Harden or Westbrook in the playoffs since the 2012 Finals. You know what I mean? So I think to round that back, you know, like the a little East bit of re- diff- I they're gonna go with the redemption route, but. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the East is a different animal to the West. And, like, think about how good Harden and Westbrook were back in 2012 and think about how good, good they are now. And, like, yeah, Westbrook didn't come up. But I think it's that same weakness that he has right now or how the Lakers played him, like, just giving him, like, a whole avenue of space to, like, shoot. He's been dealing with that his whole career. It's just now, like, for the first time since he played with KD, he's going to be the number two option. And, you know, like, we saw AD cook, but I'll be honest with you, like, he's got a, AD's got a little bit of a soft side to him because you see it, he, that's the same, same reason he doesn't want to play center full-time. He doesn't like getting down and dirty down low and taking that pounding. That's a seven-foot big man. So I think Houston, like you mentioned, P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, even Jeff Green is kind of having a renaissance this season as a small ball five. I think those guys, the wily vets that they are, they can fuck up anthony davis across the whole series like physically you know what i mean and i think i'm not doubting his talent by any means i think he could put up big numbers but i think like it'll become less and less um effective but then again who knows like i'm i'm realizing now i'm 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 picking against lebron james in the series and counting on james harden and russell westbrook like now i'm kind of reading a team that went to seven (laughs) games with with okc a team that you know, overperformed, you know, and they, the OKC Thunder did a pretty good job with Steven Adams being at the center, you know, and they still took it to seven games. I think we know that the Lakers are head and shoulders better than the Thunder. So I think just in that sense, they probably had the best shot, but of course there's matchup differences and all that, but Anthony Davis is 10 times better than Steven Adams and LeBron James is better than Chris Paul. Yeah, but then OKC had better guards. You know what I mean? That's a it's more of a matchup problem for for the Rockets. Lakers guards are some trash. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, Stephen Adams is not as good as a player as Anthony Davis, but he's got way more girth and strength. You know what I mean? And we already seen Anthony Davis get pushed around. You know, here and there. I don't know. We'll see. I think that's it's definitely probably of all the series that are going on right now. I think that's the most exciting. Like that's. Like hey, yeah. obvious take right here, obviously, but yeah, we'll see. Let's yeah, let's move on to 
one more item outside of the Knicks, and that was the recent hiring of Brook- the Brooklyn Nets' new head coach, two-time MVP Steve Nash. And I think that came <laughs> way out of left field. I don't think anybody saw that coming. The the Nets claimed that they had it in process for a long time, and they were looking forward to it, which is some bullshit. But, you know, what do you you texted me as soon as they made the trade oh as soon as they made the hiring and we were both shocked by it but you know when it comes down to it after a couple of days of just di- of digesting Steve Nash being the head coach of the Nets what are you, what are your thoughts I'll be honest with you it's definitely a shock but I completely forgot about it until like right before we started recording started doing our prep like oh yeah that happened um so I guess that's more of a symptom of like it being 2020 and like crazy batshit insane shit happens like every other day outside of the sports world. But yeah, definitely an out of left field hire for sure. But like let's call a spade a spade. Like the Brooklyn Nets just like dropped a four year multi million dollar contract on a on a babysitter that a uh, KD and Kyrie are cool with chumming around with, you know. So um, props, I guess. You know, that they realize that, like, hey, we got two moody motherfuckers in our locker room that are going to be the voice, the the voice of reason, not the voice of reason, but the voices that matter the most. So we might as well bring in a guy that can actually connect to them and uh, more so not even coach the team, but I'd say manage their egos, all the while letting Jacques Vaughn, who got retained as a highly paid assistant, let him kind of handle the day-to-day. I mean, that's my kind of perspective on an outside view, but... I'm going to turn it back to you, resident Steve Nash, Stan, to go ahead and talk about how your boy going to win Coach of the Year several times over. Go ahead. <laughs> you going to turn Jared Allen to the point guard? No? Point center? <laughs> no, I mean, admittedly, Steve Nash <laughs> has been one of my favorite point guards to watch. I think I think most people would agree that watching Steve Nash is like watching Steph Curry became, before he became Steph Curry at a certain point. I think Steph Curry is like an elevated Steve Nash, but... I, I, I love watching him play. Everyone knows that Steve Nash has a great mind when it comes to basketball. I think he um, he showcased that, especially going to the Western Conference, especially when he was in the Western Conference Finals, uh, the two or so times he, he was in there against Spurs and Lakers. And he's had historic games uh, himself. And I think he pe- people have an understanding that point guards tend to tend to have a likelihood of becoming good coaches. We, we've seen it with a number of players in the past, and I think with Steve Nash, people's, people started to make a comparison to the Jason Kidd hiring that the Brooklyn Nets did when when kids <laughs> when Kidd retired from after playing with the Knicks. He, he immediately joined as a head coach of the Nets, which at the time we thought was a pretty smart move because, again, Kidd was seen in that same light as likely to be a good coach because of how smart he was on the court. I mean, and I don't know about unfor- you. I thought that was crazy. I thought it was crazy when it happened. When I, I mean, just like fresh off retiring, but yeah, yeah. Go yeah on, I go mean, yeah. you you see it for different people who who can be successful as as rookie head coaches. Actually, it's not that common. You see, you really saw it with Steve Kerr. I can't really think of too many other ones. Maybe Brad Stevens at the time was successful his first season, but I think they Tibbs, decided Tibbs was technically a rookie head coach when he. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not uncommon. I think. I think Jason Kidd is one of those players that you look at and think, yeah, he's probably going to be a good coach. I think Chris Paul is another player who, you know, we can't be shocked by if he gets a job like that. If he wants to take it, it should it would be there. Mike Conley's another kind of player, and we'll get to him later. But, you know, I'd Steve Nash. Say, though, I want to say, though, like, yeah, Jay Kidd could probably be a good coach. I feel like just as a side note that we've, we've got enough we got enough evidence in the last seven years where he's, he's very much not a good coach. <laughs> yeah, no shit. You know I mean? No, no, no. Of, of course. Oh, yeah, not. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. It's a, to me, like, it's a, it was there. a, it was a risk that they decided to take, especially when they were. It was, I forgot who the roster, who was on the roster in the Nets during that time, but I think that was a KG Paul Pierce time. I could be wrong. Twenty, twenty twelve thirteen. I'm pretty sure that was when they made that trade with Boston, and yeah, they I thought, think it was, yeah, it was right before that. I think they were gunning for a deep, trade. yeah. I think they were gunning for a deep playoff run, but. Steve Nash and Jason Kidd are are polar opposites when it comes to temperament. I think, uh, I mean, it's obvious Jason Kidd has a number of, you know, asshole activity he's done in the last decade alone with DUIs and beating his wife and all that. But uh, Steve Nash is not like that in the slightest bit from what we've seen. Also, the godfather of R.J. Barrett 
and I'll, I'm going to be so pissed if rumors start for R.J. Barrettson. That's just because <laughs> his godfather is a coach there. But, um, you know, similar to what you said, I think he's just going to be the guy there who's going to let Katie and Kyrie run their show, which I think should be the case. I think any coach who's going to coach the Nets with those two guys on the team should do that. They are, they've been in the NBA long enough to be able to do that. And I think Steve Nash is going to do it, but he's also going to tweak it a little bit more to make the players feel more, to, to make it more cohesive for the rest of the team. I think with Kenny Atkinson, the two main head honchos and Kyrie and Katie didn't fuck with his, with his style, which is more of a college player kind of style for development players. And that's not where Kyrie and Katie are. They're in it to win it right now. And they need a guy who's going to let them do what they want and Steve Nash is going to do it as a rookie head coach, but he's also going to try to keep them together and, again, try to make the rest of the team a complete team. I I like the hire. You know, we'll see. We're only going to see in the next year how good of a hire Shocking. it is. But, I, my, <laughs> w- w- you know, why not? Like, if you're going to think, think of a rookie head coach, why not think of a, a two-time point guard MVP who has a record of being a very smart player? Again, he should have probably had assistant coaching experience and all that, but if you're going to go that route where you're going to just select a player in NBA uh, who's retired from the NBA, who else would you choose besides Steve Nash? Well, I mean, fair, all fair points. Obviously, the reputation and pedigree is, like, unquestionable, but I feel like a good kind of point that's been made is, and it's been reported, like, the Nets, both the owner and Sean Marks, had to convince, practically beg Nash to, like, go into coaching. And, like, like setting aside Nash in a vacuum as a candidate, you got to you gotta see that in terms of optics, it looks so bad. That, like, I know they, where you're going with this. Con- yeah. You know what I mean? They had to convince a white ex-player to convince him to take their job when I saw a writer from uh, The Ringer, Ricky Tynes, who does really good work, he said this is probably the blackest, quote-unquote, coaching pool in a while, mm-hmm. probably ever, for the NBA. And then the, the Nets paid a huge, large sums of money to, yeah, it's Steve Nash, but they paid it to a guy that didn't even really want the job. You know what I mean? And then you got, like, the example that came to my mind as, like, you were kind of running through the Nash, like, the the positives of, of the hire. Like, the name that came to my mind hearing all that was just Patrick Ewing. Like, that's a Hall, that's a Hall of Fame player that – literally could not get an interview and then he spent a good bit of time on on folks benches you know both for jeff van gundy and stan van gundy so i mean with a name like that out there that just never really got his shot and then you see like nash just fresh out just out the blue just getting this opportunity like nothing against nash but it's just like especially in the moment we're in right now fresh off of like uh, a player's strike just like for racial justice a player's strike just like completely bringing the league to a halt yeah they, they didn't this, read the room it just it just and then the thing is like i saw an, i think it was like a legit reporter i forgot who it was he was just like the nets have basically had nash locked in as uh their guy as their coach since like may you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like keeping that in mind and then thinking about those popovich rumors that came out you know what i mean like a couple months back a couple weeks back that was all probably a smokescreen, you know what I mean? Like, so they knew in their mind going into this coaching search when you had so many um, assistants, you know, like some of the folks we interviewed, Jamal Mosley, Ime Udoka, um, Becky Hammond, you know what I mean? All these, like, assistants that been racking up their, you know, their experience, padding their resume with valuable experience, learning under some great minds, really putting, it, putting in, that, in that time on the grind. To see them get overlooked for a guy that didn't even really want the job is leaves a bad taste in the mouth. In, in the mouth, you know what I mean. So I think Agreed. that's probably painting my whole impression of this hire, because you know, in an isolated kind of way, like it makes sense. So you bring a guy that KD's cool with back in Golden State, who happens to be a two-time MVP, and who happens to play the same position as the other max contract guy you have on your team. It all works out that way, you know. That's why I say kind of looking at it in a vacuum, it looks good. But, like, yo, you know, back to my point, just, like, the optics The overarching picture. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Good, you know? Agree 100%. And I saw that list of names, and I, I, I want to have there are at least 10 solid, solid, like, solid names on it. Ty Lue would have been a great choice. 
I don't know what the re- the relationship how it ended between Kyrie and Tyloo, but I don't think it was bad. You know, I don't think there were any negative feelings between the two. And Tyloo knows what it was like when when LeBron came back to Cleveland and he had a he had a mesh with Kyrie and I'm sure Ty you know, Tyloo knows how to coach in that sense and I thought he, I figured he would have been a perfect fit to do the same thing just with K D instead of LeBron. But you know, unfortunately that didn't work out and you hope that with all these coaching vacancies that the the names on that list start to get hired um, versus you know versus the white, versus the white guys is really all we can all we can say because there's so many there's so many like you know like you said there's so many um so many people on that list who have you know boat boatloads of experience who can be excellent coaches who have been excellent coaches who should be picked up so teams like the Pacers. Should be looking out for one. Um, who el- who else has a coaching vacancy right now? I think because of the playoffs, there we we haven't seen it just yet, but we're probably going to see it soon. Um, I mean, you mentioned Indiana, right? Obviously, the Pacers. Yeah, that's, that's um, the only team. It, it seems like Houston is probably going to have a vacancy. Um, that's been pop- probably bubbling all year, honestly. Like their yeah. owner is a cheapskate. Like if they get outed like before they reach the finals, I could see them just completely blowing that up. So I could say Houston is probably a vacancy. Um, I mean, now that you mentioned it, it's probably not, not that money right now, but I mean, at the end of the day, it didn't even seem like we didn't hear anything about Brooklyn's like search process, you know? And then you talk about anytime the Knicks have a coaching vacancy, they put such a fucking microscope, microscope on whoever, like, yeah. you're, about, you're about to show me something? <laughs> Yo, as we mentioned it, Woj Bomb, OKC's not going to re-sign Billy Donovan, so OKC's going to have a vacancy. Damn, yo, rest in peace to Billy Donovan's, you know, Did, Yo, didn't he career. just, didn't he, wasn't he just, uh, he was, he was on the, he was on the list of, you know, possible coach, coaches of the year. Damn. I mean, he was on yeah, a short list. Right? Yeah. Yo, co- again, coaches if, have if, it rough. If, if he won coach of the year, he probably should give half the trophy to Chris Paul, honestly, for this yeah, year. Yeah, for real. You know I mean? He didn't do shit. Honestly. Um, I was just going to say rest in peace to seeing um, Billy Donovan's Vegeta hairline yeah. on the sidelines. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, you grow up seeing Vegeta, you're like, there's no way anybody could have that hair. Lo and behold, Billy Donovan. So, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not nice that he lost his job, but, you know. I mean, he's white, so he'll probably find another one, right? Oh, yeah. He'll probably find himself on... He could probably go back to Florida, coach there, because he was, like, big time back in college. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my take on the Nash thing. Like, I'm sure it would probably work out just because, like, you got KD and Kyrie. It's hard not to be successful. But, yeah, it just leaves a bad taste, you know? Yep. Agree. So, let's move on to the Knicks topics right now. There we go. They're... A number of items that we can talk about uh, that that occurred in the last week. Uh, most notably is a direction that the Knicks are headed with their assistant coaches. We mentioned last time the number of you know individuals that they hired, and it looks like they're looking to hire more assistant coaches, and it's specified for player development, which is something that Knicks fans everywhere love to hear because not some shit that's happened in mm-hmm. the last twenty years. The last rookie that signed an extension or had an extension for him to sign was Charlie Ward in 1999. Yeah, I see. I feel like we get that that fun fact repeated every game when the Knicks play, and we have a young rookie. They fucking mentioned Charlie Ward before they mentioned the rookie's like upbringing and parents. Like the Knicks draft R.J. Barrett, <laughs> they haven't signed a player since Charlie Ward. Now here's Rowan Barrett to speak about his son, his loving son, like. I'm tired of hearing that shit, bro. So, like, if we could just fucking extend Frank, like, just give him a one-year extension just to, like, dead that fucking fun fact, let's just yeah. do it, Leon. Like, if you're listening, just do that. You know what I mean? Like, give give the Knicks fans, like, another year of arguing over Frank and then just dead that fun fact. You know what I mean? Win-win for everybody. But, yeah, I don't know. That just pissed me off. <laughs> I don't know. What, 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 would you ask me? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. no, no. Thing, bro. Just... I, I... I didn't really ask you anything, but it's good to hear now that the Knicks are trying to get developing, and oh, obviously yeah, yeah. we got to take all this shit with a grain of salt because we always hear something that we like every year, and it never amounts to anything. But we see actual names. We see actual signatures, and these coaches that are known for their player development are now on the Knicks. And the fact that they're looking for more, shit, that's great. Do it. 
you know? So yeah, yeah, I'm definitely happy to hear that. I'm looking forward to seeing what names they're trying to get involved with um, and have them join the Knicks. Any, yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah I mean, any, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I think honestly, like to your point, like we hear it, I swear to God, like we started this podcast right in the, in, in the, in the whole thrust of like the Fisdale Scott Perry era popping off. So you and I have fresh memories of just like the buzzwords being thrown around about, oh, we're going to emphasize player development, yada, yada, yada. It's all about draft picks, young players and defense. And, you know, we saw how it worked out in these last two years. So like the difference it being now is like, we're seeing words put into action right away. As opposed to previously, it was like, oh, we're going to really emphasize player development. Here's Michelle Obama's brother as proof. And then just believe <laughs> us. Just trust us. He got it. You know what I mean? And then poor Craig's like waving like, yeah, I got it. Like, he didn't do shit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand who got developed. Like, I think Mitch just got better just because he's Mitch. You know what I mean? Like, same for Frank, you know? Our, our players but, got worse. Dennis Smith Jr. apparently had a shooting coach and his shot came off so much worse. Was that was that a Craig Dev- Craig Craig Robinson special? Just like, hey, Keith Smart. Nah, I forgot. Yeah, Smart. I forgot. Was yeah, Keith yeah, Smart. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm saying, Keith was Smart. that a Craig Robinson special? That was his idea. He was just like, he put up, a, he created a PowerPoint like deck. He goes into a conference room and they're like, first slide. How are we gonna fix Dennis Smith Jr.'s <laughs> uh, a jumper? Next slide. Well, we gotta be smart about it. And he has, like, puts like an underline with the fucking PowerPoint <laughs> font. And then next <laughs> next slide is like he's. Keith Smart with a thumbs up. Yeah. Stupid idea. Horrible idea. Never, I, I Google that shit. Never in Keith Smart's, like, career has he been a specific shooting coach. You know what I mean? <laughs> the one thing I saw was just like, oh, he happened to coach Steph Curry for a couple years. So, yeah, he must know something about shooting. Bitch, mm-hmm. I watched Steph Curry play. Like, let <laughs> me get a shot with Dennis. Please. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, back to my point about we're putting, like, action to words. Johnny Bryant, Kenny Payne, and just this latest news that, like, oh, they're not done with the assistants. That ties back to the news we saw initially when we got Tibbs as a hire anyway. It's just like, oh, okay, we're going to have his coaching staff. But also on the side, separate from that, is a whole robust player development staff or department, you know? So we saw that early. And to see it being reemphasized, it's, I think to me that's music to both our ears, you know? Um, I'd love to see, like, we turn on a game whenever the next time the Knicks are playing. We see Tibbs, his crew of assistants next to him, and then the next three rows behind him is, like, every player development coach we got. We got we got three-point shooting coach. We got free-throw shooting coach. Fuck it, bro. Like, let's just do a whole <laughs> They all They all I mean? jot in their notes. Yo, I would love to see that. That's what I mean. Like, yo, fuck it. Let's make it, like, departmental. Whole class. We got, we, we got the shooting division. We got the, the defense division. You go in there. You got, like, defensive stance. Like, they got their own cubicles lined up in the office. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, fuck it. Why not? Like, if that's the vision they got, like, a rough estimate of what the fuck we, I just talked about, like, okay, you know? Like, Leon knows what he's doing. And, you know I mean? I think that's just a good thing. Like, we've got a lot of young players. We're probably going to add another draft pick, so... It's about fucking time. I feel like that's we're going to keep saying that about the Leon Rose era. About fucking time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, pretty sure we said the same shit when we started interviewing all those Spurs assistants, too. Like, what? why did it take so long? Like, yeah. Popovich has been in the league for 20 years. The same amount of time we've been ass, and we never interviewed any of his assistants. You know what I mean? Like, go ahead, Leon. Go do the common sense shit and seem like a genius by comparison. You know? Man, we could have done his fucking job just as well, but it's good. It's good to see that someone <laughs> is actually like paying attention and taking on the right steps with full clarity. No smoke screens, none of that. You say it and you do it. Again, the next big test is how to see what they end up doing during the draft, and it's good to see that he he got his whole front office stacked up with actual professionals who know their shit, who are some of the best in, at what they do. So, it's. It's good. It's a feel-good moment, but, you know, obviously all that can just go up in a flash. But, again, all these dates that they mentioned for the draft and all that is getting pushed. We don't have set dates anymore. This is the October 16th for the draft or 18th or whatever. That's not going to happen. So it sucks for Knicks fans and, you know, fans of teams who haven't seen their who haven't seen their teams play since March. Um, but it is what it is. There was one rumor I wanted to mention that actually – 
some of our boys at Knicks Fan TV actually got figured out for themselves. And you know, shout out to Knicks Fan TV because they uh, they they've been you know CP has been putting in the work for for a couple of years now and as hard as he's been working and all these guys that he's been able to interview these last couple of months we saw Kenny and Martin we saw Jamal Crawford we've seen Sheed we've seen a number of guys Raymond Felton all these guys that they're actually interviewing it, it increases their network and the fact that they they have a source telling them this rumor that we're about to say there there has to be a lot of legitimacy to it it's not it's not bullshit According to their source, and I'm not reading this, this is just, you know, just from memory, um, the Knicks' number one move that they're trying to do is to trade Julius Randle, and the team that they're looking to make this trade with is the are the Utah Jazz, and what they would do is take Mike Conley's huge contract of about $34 million and try to t- take on some draft assets along with that trade um, to really help the Jazz relieve some of their salary cap pressures especially at a time when Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are going to be looking for contract extensions they need as much money as possible and it'll help them with their taxes and all that if they take on Julius Randle's contract and give away Mike Conley's and that's that if the Knicks are able to capitalize and do that with a player like Mike Conley and the Jazz I think that's a home run in all ways possible especially because Mike Conley like I mentioned earlier in the pod is one of those players that NBA players say would likely be the best head coach from any active player, just from his style and his his style of playing, how he is on and off the court. You know, I and I hear you laughing, but I think I'm that's laughing. something. I'm laughing because uh, we heard the same shit about Derek Fisher all those 25 years he played, <laughs> and then we actually saw it in person. So I got PTSD, bro. Like all these players that like, oh, he would make a great head coach. I'm all iffy on him now. Doesn't I mean? Fish have like, a DUI also? I don't know, but he was also notoriously known. This has never been confirmed by a legitimate outlet, but I remember back in back in that time, he was like known for like taking the Knicks players' girls. Like that's why Tim yeah, Hardaway yeah, hated yeah. De- Derek Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mike Only Conley. <laughs> uh, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think Mike Conley has has ever gotten a technical foul in a game in his whole career. I don't even think he raises his voice. I don't when he's think in so. Room by himself. When he's in a room by himself, he don't raise his voice. Like he's a polite, very studious, yeah. gentlemanly man. So I'd love and we, Mike Conley. <laughs> and we thought we thought the fit with the Jazz would have been seamless with Donovan Mitchell, but for whatever reason, it didn't work out as well as they would have hoped for. Although the Jazz has elevate had elevated, and they did play a lot better this season, especially Donovan Mitchell. Um, it would be really nice to see Mike Conley on in a Knicks uniform versus Julius Randle, who you know one would help us and the other one hasn't. We could get yeah. some draft assets and get Randall out. And the other positive of, about this is that if we take on Mike Conley's you know exorbitant contract, we'll still have it, it'll expire before the 2021 free agency, where there are so many names that are going to be available uh, for the Knicks to sign on if it comes to that point where we have a team set for one of these players. You have to think of it that way. Yeah, I mean, and then like obviously Randall, his contract wouldn't have been an uh, obstacle to us in 21. Than 2021 free agency anyway because he's we've got that team option but I just I just think as far as a basketball fit like Conley I think it's safe to say he's not certified washed but he's he's fairly washed uh, especially after the season but I'd I'd swallow like that his contract for a year you know what I mean and um I just feel like the basketball fit going back to Randall like. And I think what needs to be made clear to our listeners who might think like I or both of us either shit too much on Randall, probably me, because like I feel like you're 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 softer on Randall than I am. But it's just I don't have a problem with him as a player. I just feel like in regards to our roster, especially who our two quote unquote corner stone pieces are, he's just a bad fit. You know, like RJ, his jumper is a super question mark right now. Mitch can't shoot. Period. So we can't have Randall in there clogging shit up. You know, like you and I were probably last year. Just kind of wishfully, obviously, wishful thinking, um, and part just like hopeless optimism or hopeful optimism. We're thinking that, okay, Randall could probably be a good fit on the roster, right? But we saw it was just like RJ and Mitch ended up playing with basically negative spacing. So I think you swap out Randall, you know what I mean? You get Conley in there. I think he could be a nice one-year stopgap as a point guard, which I think we were planning to do anyway, you know? Like, we get a veteran 
point guard piece and then probably draft one. I think that like going after Conley, making nah, that trade. We got, we got Elford for that. Oh yeah, my fault, my fault. I mean, you know what? They they put Scott Perry in 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 his in like a cupboard or like a fucking. Oh, don't disrespect. <laughs> don't disrespect Elf like that. Oh, you Scott Perry goes right in this podcast now. <laughs> he he texting you that from the broom closet. Leon locked him in. You know what I mean? Like yo, <laughs> take this one year extension. And just go into this room. There's I swear there's something cool in here. I bet uh, <laughs> they're like oh Alfred Prayton is in this room right now. Sign this one year contract. He goes in a room. It's a closet. They lock him in there. We haven't seen Scott Perry since he did the he, he did the Tibbs intro press conference from there on Zoom and in the broom closet. So, yeah. but now nah, yeah um yeah I think just like the going back to the Knicks fan TV rumor they said we would get draft considerations. That's an easy peasy trade to make. Like go ahead here's 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 Randall give us Conley two second round picks. I'm down you know and you know obviously we're talking about the positives of it but like. Is this your official way of saying you'd prefer a Conley deal over a CP3 deal? I think a CP3 deal would be more expensive to us. I don't think they would give away CP3 and draft considerations for Julius Randle. You know what I mean? I think they would want more assets from the Knicks to get CP3. But with Mike Conley, if we're if all we're going to lose is Julius Randle, why not? But also, again, it depends obviously what... Um, what OKC would want in return for CP3. I think when we were first talking about a couple of months back, or even more so last year, we thought CP3 was going to be a, a hardship for the OKC roster. But in reality, he's he's not. He's their best player, you know. So I don't think I don't think the Thunder are as likely as we thought previously to to give up CP3 just for Randall. But I would say even now, just going off the the Don, the was it the what the fuck's their coach's name Donovan. But the Billy, Billy Donovan. Donovan, the Billy Donovan news. I mean, if they're contemplating firing their coach, at, and then their fans, their young players, and knowing who Sam Presti is, he's one of the most forward-thinking, just like best GMs in the league. I don't think he'd have any hesitation to see a 37-year-old Chris Paul, like, and then just press eject on this button uh, on this team. Just get him the fuck out of there. Get some compensation. Just go completely young. Cause, I mean, we saw at the season. You know, you got Dort, who's been a crazy fine for them. Just undrafted. You know what I mean? You got um, SGA, Shy Gilgis. He's one of the best young prospects in the league right now. Um, I think they got the pieces to go young. And OKC, I think they've got the draft capital to where they don't need to press on and try to be a win now team. You know, they could go. They could pivot pretty easily to that to that rebuild route and I think a lot of the, the the pundits and analysts were thinking they would do that last season or before last season um they were thinking oh Chris Paul is not gonna last more than a month or two on OKC into the season he's gonna be out of there as soon as Sam Presti finds a deal of his liking and then they ended up keeping him and then you know the rest is history right I think this coming season though I think it just makes just smarter sense for them especially given their small market uh the how fat Chris Paul's contract is. I think it's wise for Sam Presti to try to get him the fuck out of there. It's just pivoting back to the Knicks. I think if Mike Conley's out there as a realistic option, and I have no reason to doubt um, Knicks fan TV, um, I think if they consider Mike Conley, to me, that signals Chris Paul isn't as realistic as an option we, as we would think. Or Brock Aller. Brick, Brock Aller? Brock Aller or Aller? How do you Aller. Pronounce his name? Yeah, I think he just chimed up in a meeting finally. He's like, hey, guys. That contract's really bad, and the rest of the fucking front office is like, oh, okay, never mind. My colleague is, you know what I mean? Like, because like it just that's one thing that never jived with me. You know what I mean? We we saw all these Chris Paul rumors, but then we have a capologist come in, Brock Aller, and then like those rumors still go. Like I don't know. I just For- think Mike Conley's a better alternative. He's not as good as a player, but at least just better financially for us. You know? Yeah, I, I mean. If we had to give up, if we had to give up assets to get Chris Paul, I would rather get Mike Conley. But if we, if it's a similar situation where we'll miraculously get draft considerations, I'd rather get CP3 than Mike Conley because I think he has a better proven record of helping players develop. But that goes back to my point on Sam Presti and the OKC front office. Why would they want to give up Chris Paul and cut out his contract if they're not really going to sign any free agents? Might as well keep him there and help develop all these players who just made it to game seven of the first round playoffs with with a bunch of, you know, early young players. If he's there and willing to be there 
why would you trade him if he's going to continue to help your the rest of your players grow at a much faster rate? I think that if he wants to be there, I think Sam Presti would rather keep him. But if he wants out, I think other teams might want to throw in their trade options to get um, to get CP3 versus just the Knicks. I mean, that's the thing, though, about OKC. They're a small market. So, like, that's the whole reason they trade them is because they're pay- they're, right now their team payroll is $133 million as a small market team that, yeah, they made a playoff run, but they're not a contender. You know what I mean? And especially a small market team in the middle of a pandemic, I think they're, they're exhibit A or they're the number one suspect of a team that would want to cut salary to save off the payroll, especially if they don't have uh, realistic hopes of being a title contender. And we're looking at Chris Paul's age. He's about to be 37, right? I think that's that goes back to why Presti, he's he, he's a forward-thinking forward thinking GM or a forward-thinker as a GM. So he's going to exact, see exactly what the terrain is. Like, okay, I've got an aging point guard. Yeah, he had an amazing season. We had a storybook ending. But aside from Chris Paul... And Steve, Steven Adams, like, our, my whole roster is just young players. You know what I mean? So, like, if I'm already firing my coach, which you just mentioned is a major possibility or is about to happen, why wouldn't I just trade this guy, this this icon, and get as much value as I can instead of, like, him staying for another season and then him opting in? Because he has a player op- option. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think Sam Presti's one to let uh, a player hold that kind of leverage over him you know it's his his track record speaks otherwise you know he's willing to just heat hit eject on on his roster at certain points to recoup assets and help them long term and i think trading chris paul would be a good long-term move it's just a question about whether it'd be a good long-term move for us and if mike conley's out there as that realistic option and we don't have to give up assets we just got to get randall then i'd do that but if on that same flip of the coin we could get Chris Paul for like two second round, Chris Paul two second round picks for Randall and maybe like I don't know who else would you throw in that deal Dennis Smith I don't know like if if that's the kind of deal I I weigh that but that's not concrete but this Conley rumor seems more concrete and I'd go with Conley you know yeah uh the Bucks are out yeah officially seen. yeah uh, the Heat are making it to the earlier. Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> Hey, yo, talk shit to Jimmy now. Yo, let me go on my Jimmy Butler rant. He was motherfucking right. You know what I mean? All last year, as a Jimmy Butler fan, I had to hear people say, oh, he's a malcontent. You know what I mean? This is his second team in like 18 months or third team in 18 months. Nah, he just didn't want to play in Philly because he he didn't trust their front office. Check, he's right there. Elton Brand's an idiot. And Brett Brown got fired. Minnesota, he didn't fuck with them because he didn't fuck with the young players. Another check right there. Andrew Wiggins is a is is an idiot, a hopeless lost cause, and he's not even there anymore. And Cat is still a pussy. So like Jimmy Butler has been right. He goes to Miami, and people clowned him for this move. I saw the vision. I was like, okay, Jimmy Butler is a maniacal worker who will bust his ass and talk as much shit as possible. Miami, that's their culture. Talk shit and bust your ass in terms of training you and getting you coached up like it's they've got an infamous conditioning test they do every every season every summer before the season starts and a player can't train with the team unless they can't pass this conditioning test you know what i mean like that's the type of atmosphere that i knew jimmy would just thrive in spolstra i've been i've been a spolstra fan spolstra fan for a minute this man has been underrated by the general public for so long you know what i mean but now you put Jimmy Butler in his in his purview and his team, and he can fucking coach. You know what I mean? Like these young players, like their player development, all, all that player development shit. You and I bought all that player development Kool Aid we bought when Fizdale came here. We believe that shit because we saw what happened in Miami, and it's still happening right now. Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero as a late lottery pick. That their development, their culture, hard work. It was a hand and glove fit with Jimmy Butler. I'm so fucking happy for him, bro. Like, you. Oh my god, bro. It's it's crazy. I mean, now it just starts the Giannis watch. You know what I mean? Where do you think he's going? What do you think? Let's, say, let's call it right now. Predictions. Not the Knicks. 
Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. I wasn't yeah. even going to go there. Why you had to go <laughs> open all wounds, bro? <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> no, I mean, he's he's not going to he's not going to be in Milwaukee. Um I don't know. I have to look at the salary caps, but my only predictions right now are not the Knicks and not the Bucks. Because the Bucks just don't have enough talent right now on paper at least uh to to have Giannis succeed there. Um but we'll we'll have to keep an eye out. I don't I, I can't tell right now what team he'll be perfect with. Maybe maybe Toronto. You know, maybe he's a nice rumors? fit. Toronto's Toronto's one of the like the leaders in the clubhouse to get him. That's oh really? I, I had no idea. That was just that's just off off top of my head because I think Pascal Siakam's gonna continue to develop, and he and Giannis are very similar. And Fred Van Vliet, I think if he's smart, he'll stay in Toronto. <laughs> And along with Kyle nah, Lowry, so there he's take he's taking the bag for the Knicks, bro. <laughs> Don't be fucking sabotaging our plan. Of we gotta do, yo, sh- man. We we, we gotta do the opposite. You don't know? No, nah, we gotta shit on Toronto. So when Fred listens to this, he's like, "Oh, I didn't realize that about Toronto, who I played here for three years. I didn't realize they were that trash." <laughs> so Fred, if you're listening, Masai Ujiri poops in people's shoes. I don't I don't know if you realize that, but he does that. Yeah, so you're the leave. next. Oh yeah, he been eyeing your Jordans. For years now, <laughs> but um, no, nah, I mean, yeah, Toronto's been mentioned. Um, Golden State's been mentioned just because him and um, not him, um, Giannis and Steph are uh, mad cool. I think they both picked each other each time they were like captains on All Star team. So I saw, oddly enough, Miami is a is a suitor and is somebody that Giannis is considering. And boy. <laughs> This little Miami, I'm not a Miami fan. I just kind of fuck with their culture. I'm, I just say it out of jealousy. Like I'm so fucking jealous of what they built. Um, so just like this rant I just had about Miami and how Jimmy was right. I'm gonna have it again if Giannis goes there. I'm like Jimmy was right again. Jimmy saw this. <laughs> Nobody believes Jimmy, but J- I believe in Jimmy. He's a fucking visionary. Yo, Jimmy Butler. You, um, you started Seinfeld, right? You get to the part where there's a guy named Jimmy, and he just refers to himself in the third person. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy's getting mad. <laughs> Jimmy don't fuck with you. I like to picture just like when Jimmy was playing with with Cat in Minnesota. He just saw his work ethic in the gym, and Jimmy just like shakes his head like, Jimmy don't fuck with this. Jimmy don't like this at all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if, I mean. If Giannis, for whatever reason, wants out, and wants to trade early. Trade everything. You know, everything, I, and, everything I, would work. I'm not even talking. I'm not even talking about the Knicks because I don't think the Knicks are gonna be in the running. But I think salary cap wise, I mean, Milwaukee's front office is pretty smart. I don't think they would take on Andrew Wiggins' contract, but it is it is an oh, option if they want to do the number two pick and Andrew Wiggins plus a boatload of future, you know, for the for the next ten years swap options and all that shit. I'd like to push back on Milwaukee being smart because are they really? Because after seeing what just happened in this playoffs, don't forget they chose not to play Malcolm, not to pay Malcolm Brogdon mm, last mm-hmm, season. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching them this whole series. They have nobody aside from Giannis who got hurt and maybe Middleton that could create their own shot consistently. That's exactly what Brogdon did. He played elite defense. Shot well and he could create his own. He shot. could pass the and ball. He was, playmaker. He was exactly. averaging ten assists a game, and it wasn't playoffs. even about like them not af- being able to afford to keep him. They chose not to keep him. They could have went over the luxury tax. So to me, I can't say that's a smart front office if they literally going into this this season they knew that all eyes would be on Giannis and his future free agency. If they knew all that going in. Why the fuck would they do some Cleveland Cavaliers in 2009 shit and just not sign Brogdon? Like, why? That's some straight-up Cleveland shit. You know what I mean? Back then, we're just like, oh, Cleveland's fucking up. Like, they know LeBron's going to leave, right? They acted like he he couldn't leave. Milwaukee acted like Giannis couldn't get, like, pissed off and leave. You know what I mean? That's why they just, they just did, decided not to keep Brogdon. In fact, they traded Brogdon, did they not? They got a first-round pick from Indiana. Like, it was like a yeah, sign trade. I, I'm not sure on the details, but I think that's what it was. 
Yeah, so it's just like, would Giannis prefer like like Malcolm Brogdon like having his back during this playoff series, or whatever young kid they happen to draft with, with the 29th pick this year? You know what I mean? Like, or whatever the fuck their draft pick is. Like, that's just my pushback on that. I don't think Milwaukee's a smart front office, like not super smart. And I just feel like that last summer was like the start of this chapter in in their franchise history. And this chapter is basically Giannis's getting the fuck out of there. You know what I mean? Like it all started with the first sentence, opening sentence is like back in July 2019 when Milwaukee chose not to sign Brogdon, it sealed the fate for Giannis and his future with the franchise. Mm-hmm. And then the next chapter is he's like in fucking Golden State or some shit. Don't lie, you know Bleacher Report is gonna write some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Swear to God. Yeah. Signed by Nickish. We writing that. Tough. Don't don't get me started. <laughs> All right, I think we're going to basically wrap up this episode. If you guys made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Sportscaster, at Nick's Show. Follow our partner, Nothing But Nicks, on all the above, at Nothing But Nicks. And we appreciate you guys listening. Look out for our morning show. We're calling it uh, Nickish Cup of Coffee. I blanked there for a second. Um Nickish bla- uh, cup Looks of coffee. Like we're gonna be starting that soon. Basically, uh, <laughs> an early morning show where we recap everything that's been going on. We're gonna start that in a couple of days. Same channel, same show. And sub- make sure you subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify at Nickish Show. Leave us a review, give us an, a rating, and uh, you know, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Again, we appreciate everyone for tuning in and check us out for next week's episode. Peace out. Peace. Peace. Peace.